Welcome back, dear listeners, to another chilling episode of AI Nightmares. As the moon casts its pallor over the world, casting shadows that seem to dance and whisper, we're here to send shivers down your spine and make you question every little noise in the silent expanse of the night. Tonight's theme is especially eerie. It started with a sound. Every creak, every rustle, every echo might just be the beginning of a story that you'd wish you could forget. Remember, these tales aren't just any tales. They are spun from the vast mind of artificial intelligence, delving into the depths of fear in ways no human mind ever has. So, grab your headphones, dim the lights, and maybe, just maybe, check that there's nothing lurking behind you. And for those brave souls who endure till the end, we've got some fascinating AI tidbits to share. How does a machine weave such intricate tales of terror? Stay tuned to find out. But without further ado, let's dive into the abyss of sounds that mark the beginning of nightmares. Prepare yourselves, listeners, for the tales that await may just make you long for the blissful quiet of silence. Tale 1. Echoing Footsteps Aquaid's town of Harrowhaven had a charm that seemed timeless. Centuries-old buildings, cobblestone streets, and the absence of modern tech made it feel like stepping into a page of history. Mark, having grown up here, knew its every nook and cranny. One evening, as Mark took his customary walk after dinner, the stillness of the night felt tangible. The streets lay deserted, with only the gentle flickering of the street lamps to cut through the dense fog. But tonight was different. As he walked, he noticed another set of footsteps echoing his own. They were faint but unmistakable. At first, he dismissed it as an echo bouncing off the walls of the old structures. But as he stopped to tie his shoelace, the footsteps continued, growing closer. Turning around, he saw nothing. No one. But when he resumed his walk, the footsteps returned. Mark tried changing his pace, even his route, but the footsteps mimicked him perfectly. Drawn inexplicably, he found himself outside his childhood home. It was there, in front of the old oak door, that a flood of memories hit him. He remembered playing with his twin brother, Luke. They would play a game, mimicking each other's steps perfectly, delighting and fooling their parents about which twin was which. But then he remembered the accident. Luke, running across the road to retrieve their ball, hadn't seen the oncoming carriage. Mark had lost his twin, his other half, that fateful evening. Suddenly, the footsteps stopped. And in the silence, a child's voice whispered, Missed me, brother. Chilled to his core, Mark sprinted away, the memory of that tragic day and the eerie footsteps echoing in his ears. The town might have appeared timeless, but for Mark, its ghosts were all too real. Tale 2. Static Whispers Juliet loved her grandmother's old things. The vintage dresses, antique furniture, and especially the old radio. It was a massive wooden thing, with intricate designs and a round dial in the middle. The radio hadn't worked for decades, but it made for a lovely centerpiece in her living room. One stormy evening, as lightning cracked and the wind howled, Juliet was curled up on her couch with a book. A sudden loud static made her jump. The noise was coming from the old radio. The dials turned frantically by themselves, settling between two stations. The static cleared, replaced by soft, whispered voices. 
You mustn't go there. The time startled. Juliet went over and tried to turn it off. It wouldn't budge. The whispers continued, growing more frantic. It's not safe. They're coming. Suddenly, a vivid image flashed in her mind. An old railway station she had never seen, a clock showing 11.55 and a fast approaching train. She felt an inexplicable urge to go there. Drawn by an unknown force, Juliet drove through the storm, finding herself at an abandoned railway station, its clock stuck at. As the clock began to tick again, she heard the distant sound of a train approaching. The radio's whispers echoed in her mind, warning her of the danger. But as the train drew near, it wasn't a normal one. Ghostly figures stared at her from the windows, reaching out, beckoning. Juliet, paralyzed with fear, could only watch as the phantom train stopped and its spectral conductor stepped out, pointing at her. The radio's final whisper rang in her ears, You weren't supposed to be here. As the train departed, Juliet was nowhere to be seen. The only evidence of her presence was the static from her car's radio and a clock that would never move past 11.55. Tale 3. The Attic's Lullaby Clara had just moved into the old Whitfield house with her family. The mansion, with its gothic architecture and sprawling grounds, was a testament to the town's history. But as with all old houses, it came with its own set of quirks and creaks. On the third night, as Clara lay in bed trying to adjust to her new surroundings, she heard a faint sound. It was a gentle, haunting lullaby, seemingly drifting down from the attic. Curious and a tad unnerved, Clara tiptoed up to the attic, the lullaby growing clearer with each step. The attic was filled with old trunks, dusty books, and forgotten memories. In one corner, illuminated by the soft glow of moonlight streaming through a cracked window, stood an antique rocking chair. It swayed rhythmically, as if an invisible entity was comforting an unseen child. Pinned to the chair was a faded photograph of a woman, the resemblance to Clara Uncanny, holding a baby. Beside it, an old diary lay open. It spoke of a woman named Lillian, an ancestor of Clara's, who had tragically lost her baby. Devastated, she would sing lullabies in the attic, hoping her child's spirit would hear. Feeling a sudden cold draft, Clara heard a whisper right next to her ear, sing with me. Terrified, she bolted from the attic, the haunting lullaby echoing behind her. But every night thereafter, Clara would hear it, a melancholic reminder of the heartbreak that once occupied the house. And on some nights, when the moon was just right and the wind carried the right tune, neighbors swore they could hear two voices singing a lullaby in perfect harmony from the old Whitfield house. Tale 4 Cellars Clatter It was a house that had seen better days. Standing alone on the outskirts of the village, its wooden frames were rotting and the garden was overgrown with weeds. But to Olivia, who had just inherited it from a distant relative, it was a project, an adventure. As she started cleaning the house, she was drawn to the cellar. It was bolted shut, but after some effort, she managed to pry it open. The air inside was damp, heavy with the scent of mold. Old barrels, broken furniture, and cobwebs filled the space. But what caught her attention was a peculiar metal box adorned with strange symbols and securely locked. That night, as Olivia settled into her temporary bedroom, she was jolted awake by a loud clatter. It seemed to emanate from the cellar, 
Lighting a lantern, she descended the wooden steps to investigate. The metal box was now open, its contents spilled on the floor, old coins, a withered feather, and a vial containing a dark liquid. Before she could process the sight, a ghostly apparition appeared. It was a woman, her eyes hollow, her mouth mouthing silent words. She pointed at the vial, and then to herself, a look of sheer desperation on her face. Curious and frightened, Olivia picked up the vial and uncorked it. The smell was potent, intoxicating. The apparition motioned her to drink it. Hesitating for a moment, Olivia took a sip. A rush of memories flooded her senses. She saw the woman, once vibrant and alive, being accused of witchcraft by the villagers. Locked in her own cellar, she was left to perish. But before her final moments, she had concocted a potion, hoping someone in the future would release her spirit. As the memories faded, Olivia felt an overwhelming sadness. The apparition's form began to disintegrate, her spirit finally at peace. But as the first light of dawn crept into the cellar, Olivia realized the potion's price. She was now trapped in the house, her own spirit bound to the very walls, waiting for the next soul to find the metal box and its cursed contents. Tale 5. Whispers from the Radio Lena had always been a lover of all things vintage. From her wardrobe to the furniture in her house, she prided herself on her eclectic collection of items from eras gone by. Among her favorite possessions was an old radio, a gift from her grandmother. Its wooden exterior was worn, and its fabric-covered speaker had seen better days, but Lena adored it. Every evening she'd tune into various stations, losing herself in the melodies and stories from the past. One evening, as she was searching for a clear station, Lena stumbled upon a frequency she had never heard before. The signal was weak, but she could faintly make out a soft voice narrating a story. Curious, she decided to listen. In a quaint little town, hidden amidst the thick woods and away from civilization, there existed a secret that none dared to speak of. The voice began, its tone eerie and enigmatic. Every night thereafter, Lena would tune into this mysterious station. The tales it told were unnerving, of cursed relics, haunted homes, and doomed love stories. But Lena was hooked. The more she listened, the more she felt drawn into the world of the broadcast. One story, in particular, stood out. It spoke of a woman named Alara, who lived in a grand manor at the edge of a town. She was said to be beautiful, but had a cold heart. Spurned by her lover, she turned to dark arts to exact revenge. The tale went on to narrate how Alara's obsession with the occult led to her downfall, with her spirit trapped in a device from which she tried to communicate with the living. As the story unfolded, Lena noticed something odd. The details of Alara's manner sounded eerily similar to her own house. The more she listened, the more the lines between the broadcast and reality blurred. Soon, Lena began hearing faint whispers, even when the radio was off. At first, she dismissed them as figments of her imagination, but then the messages became clearer. Lena, help, free me. Terrified but intrigued, Lena decided to investigate. Delving into the town's history, she discovered that her home once belonged to a woman named Alara. Rumors of witchcraft, forbidden rituals, and a tragic love story marred her legacy. Realizing the link between the radio broadcasts and the haunting events in her home, Lena decided to confront the spirit. 
One night, she sat in front of the radio, summoning the courage to communicate with Alara. Alara, if you're here, tell me what you want, she whispered. The radio crackled to life, the familiar eerie voice replying, free me, Lena, help me move on. Over the next few weeks, Lena embarked on a mission to release Alara's trapped spirit. Guided by clues from the radio broadcasts and her own research, she discovered an old locket buried in her garden, believed to contain a strand of Alara's hair, the source of her binding. On a stormy night, with the radio playing the haunting tales in the background, Lena conducted a ritual to free Alara. As the clock struck midnight, the house shook, lights flickered, and the radio's voice grew louder and more desperate. Then, just as suddenly as it had started, everything went silent. Lena cautiously approached the radio. The mysterious station was gone, replaced by the usual channels she was familiar with. The whispers ceased, and an overwhelming sense of peace filled the house. The next morning, as Lena sat in her garden, she found a note where the locket was buried. Thank you. It read in elegant handwriting. From that day on, the vintage radio played only melodies and regular tales. But every so often, Lena would smile, thinking of Alara and the mysterious broadcast that intertwined their fates. Tale 6, Cries from the Cellar. The newly acquired house on Elm Street was a steal, and Aaron couldn't believe his luck. A sprawling Victorian mansion, with intricate woodwork and large airy rooms, it was everything he dreamed of. However, the town folks seemed wary of it, often casting sidelong glances or crossing the street to avoid walking past its grand fod. On Aaron's first night there, he was jolted awake by an indistinct sound. Straining his ears, he realized it was a soft, rhythmic tapping coming from below. Dismissing it as just the quirks of an old house, he drifted back to sleep. But night after night, the noise persisted, each time becoming more distinct and soon accompanied by muffled cries. Growing alarmed, Aaron decided to investigate the source. The house's blueprints showed a cellar, but he found no entrance. However, a chance discovery of a hidden trap door in the kitchen floor led him underground. The cellar was vast, with rows of wooden barrels and old furniture covered in white sheets. In one corner stood a large iron door, securely bolted. The cries seemed to emanate from behind it. Stealing himself, Aaron unbolted the door and was hit by a gust of cold, stale air. Inside, he found a small, dimly lit room. Its walls were lined with ancient-looking scribbles, and in the center stood a wooden chair with heavy leather straps, suggesting restraint. As he looked around, the cries grew louder, more desperate. They seemed to come from the walls themselves. Touching one, he recoiled in horror as it felt oddly warm, almost alive. Racing back upstairs, he began researching the house's history. It turned out that during the late 1800, it belonged to Dr. Hawthorne, a man infamous for his cruel experiments on the living seeking ways to conquer death. The townsfolk, in hushed whispers, spoke of the Chamber of Sorrows, the very room Aaron had discovered. Haunted by his findings and the ever-present cries, Aaron decided he had to put an end to the misery. He sought out a local medium, known for her abilities to communicate with troubled spirits. Together, they conducted a seance in the cellar, attempting to reach out to the souls trapped by Dr. Hawthorne's wicked deeds. As the medium chanted, the temperature dropped, 
and ghostly apparitions began to appear. They were the souls of Dr. Hawthorne's victims, bound to the house by their agonizing deaths. Through the medium, they communicated their desire for release. They spoke of a ritual Dr. Hawthorne had used, which bound them to the chamber, their souls forever tormented by their last moments. Working with the spirits and using the clues they provided, Aaron managed to uncover Dr. Hawthorne's diary. Within its pages, he found the counter-ritual that would release the trapped souls. On a moonless night, Aaron, with the medium's help, performed the ritual. The house echoed with the screams and cries of the spirits, each reliving their final painful moments. And then, with a deafening silence, it was over. Aaron hoped he had finally brought peace to the troubled souls in the house. But the next night, as he lay in bed, he heard it again. The soft tapping, now accompanied by Dr. Hawthorne's sinister laughter. Etarnter, it seemed, had returned, angered at being denied his eternal subjects. The house on Elm Street had gained another ghostly resident, its malevolence deeper than ever before. Sleepless nights turned into terrifying days as Aaron became trapped in a never-ending cycle of hauntings. The house, once a dream, was now a prison. The town folks would sometimes gather outside, watching in morbid fascination, as chilling screams and eerie laughter echoed from within, a grim reminder of Elm Street's cursed legacy. Tale 7, The Symphony of Silverware. The O'Connors were an ordinary family, living in a picturesque suburban neighborhood. Their life was simple, their routine set. Little did they know, an innocuous act would plunge them into a world of horror they could have never imagined. It began with the purchase of a new silverware set. The old one was showing signs of wear and tear, and Mrs. O'Connor decided it was time for an upgrade. She stumbled upon a beautiful set at a local estate sale. Just ornate patterns, an antique finish, and surprisingly cheap, she couldn't resist. The very first night they used the new silverware, strange things began to happen. Forks and knives moved on their own, aligning themselves in intricate patterns on the dinner table. Spoons would occasionally levitate a few inches off the surface, only to drop with a loud clang. Initially dismissing it as pranks by their kids, or perhaps a trick of the light, the O'Connors soon realized something more sinister was at play. Every mealtime was accompanied by the soft, eerie hum of the silverware, resonating in perfect harmony. A tune that was strangely hypnotic. Mr. O'Connor, a man of logic, decided to investigate. He discovered that the silverware set once belonged to a renowned composer from the 18th century named Alistair Grimwald. Grimwald was said to be obsessed with creating a symphony unlike any other, using unconventional instruments. Legends spoke of his descent into madness, eventually leading him to believe that the key to his masterpiece lay in the resonance of silver. The more the family used the silverware, the louder and more intricate the hum became. Their meals turned into eerie concerts, with each dish acting as a movement in a symphonic piece. The once harmonious tunes became jarring, filled with high-pitched screams and deep, rumbling undertones. One evening, as the O'Connors sat down for dinner, the silverware began its cacophony, but this time it was different. The utensils started to move violently, forming a whirlwind of sharp edges. The family watched in horror as forks and knives took on a life of their own, orchestrating a dance of terror. 
Soon, the walls of the dining room began to reverberate with the haunting echoes of Grimwald's failed symphonies. Shadows of an orchestra appeared, with Grimwald at its helm, conducting with fervor. The family tried to flee, but the silverware barricade was impenetrable. Trapped, they could only watch as Grimwald's silhouette grew darker and more menacing, the symphony reaching a deafening crescendo. Days turned into weeks. Neighbors grew concerned when they didn't see the O'Connors. The post piled up and their lawn became overgrown. One brave soul decided to venture in, only to be met with a chilling scene. The dining room was in disarray, with silverware strewn everywhere. In the center lay a record player, playing Grimwald's haunting composition on a loop. The O'Connors were never seen again. But sometimes, on quiet nights, the neighbors swear they can hear the soft hum of a symphony, accompanied by the clatter of silverware, serving as a grim reminder of the cursed ensemble and the family that fell victim to its chilling serenade. Tale 8. The Echoing Breath Julie was an avid reader, often immersing herself in stories late into the night. One evening, she chanced upon a tattered old book in a second-hand store. Titled The Echoing Breath, the book seemed to be a collection of old folktales, and she excitedly brought it home. That night, as she settled into her cozy reading nook, she began the first tale. It spoke of an ancient entity, one that existed in the very air we breathe. It could replicate any sound perfectly, be it a whispered word, a sigh, or even a heartbeat. The story warned that once it took a liking to a particular sound, it would follow the source, mimicking it endlessly. Julie chuckled, amused by the imaginative premise. As she read on, she noticed something odd. Every few minutes, she'd hear her own breathing, echoed. At first, she brushed it off, thinking it was just the wind outside or perhaps her own imagination playing tricks. But as she delved deeper into the tales, the echoed breathing grew louder and more distinct. She could discern the inhale, the pause, and the exhale, each sound perfectly mirrored a second after her own. Alarmed, she shut the book and decided to call it a night. But the breathing didn't stop. Every room she went to, every corner she turned, the mimicry followed. Even when she held her breath, the echo persisted, as if taunting her. Julie tried to rationalize it, thinking it might be an acoustic quirk of her home. She even went outside, but the relentless echo pursued her, growing more impatient with every step. In desperation, she called her friend Mark, a sound engineer, hoping he might have an explanation. He arrived, skeptical but willing to help. Together, they tried various techniques to trace the origin of the echo. But it was elusive, always a step ahead, always just out of reach. Hours turned into days. Julie grew frantic, the echoing breath driving her to the brink of madness. Mark, witnessing her deteriorating state, decided to take drastic measures. He set up an array of equipment around her home, hoping to isolate and block out the mysterious sound. While reviewing the audio recordings, Mark noticed something even more unsettling. Beneath the echoed breath, there was a faint whisper, repeating the same phrase over and over, closer, closer, closer. Realization hit Julie. The entity wasn't just mimicking her, it was trying to merge with her, to become one with her essence. In a last-ditch effort, they decided to confront the entity directly. Using the book as a guide, they performed a ritual to summon it. 
As they chanted, the room grew cold and the echoed breath amplified, filling every corner with its haunting presence. Suddenly, a shadowy figure materialized, its form intangible, constantly shifting. It had no face, no discernible features, just a swirling mass of darkness. But from it emanated that all-too-familiar breathing sound. Julie, gathering all her courage, demanded that the entity leave her alone. To her surprise, it responded. In a voice that was a chorus of a thousand echoes, it spoke, I am the essence of life, the breath you take, the sound you make. Once called, I cannot be unsummoned. Mark, thinking quickly, used his equipment to play a cacophony of sounds, hoping to confuse and disorient the entity. For a moment, it seemed to work. The entity writhed and twisted, its form breaking apart. But just as they began to hope, the entity reformed, larger and more menacing. It lunged at Julie, its shadowy form enveloping her. Mark watched in horror as she was absorbed, her form merging with the entities. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, the entity vanished, leaving Mark alone in the room, the deafening silence broken only by a soft, echoing breath. From that day on, Mark could never shake off the feeling of being watched. Every breath he took, every sound he made, was echoed back. And sometimes, in the dead of night, he'd hear Julie's voice, a mere whisper, carried by the wind, warning him of the entity's insatiable hunger for sound. And life. Tale 9. The Resonance of Souls. Following the mysterious disappearance of Julie, whispers of the echoing breath circulated throughout the town. People spoke of an entity, a shadow that fed on sound and merged with the essence of its victims. Yet, it wasn't just fear of the entity that plagued the town, it was something far more insidious. Mark, forever scarred by the horrifying events he witnessed, became obsessed with the book and the entity. He delved deeper, discovering tales that spoke of the resonance of souls. According to legend, the entity, after merging with a victim, could transfer fragments of that victim's essence into others through mere touch. These fragments acted as seeds, infecting the host, making them a vessel for the entity's influence. The infected would appear normal at first, but subtle changes in behavior would start to manifest. They'd hum tunes they'd never heard before, whisper to themselves, and most chillingly, their gaze would occasionally turn hollow, as if someone else was looking out from behind their eyes. Mark, fearful of the legend, became a recluse. But even in his isolation, he couldn't escape the echoes of the entity. Every time he ventured outside, he saw signs of its influence. His neighbor, once jovial and warm, now avoided eye contact, often muttering incoherently. The local grocer's once steady hands shook uncontrollably, causing him to drop things, but his eyes remained eerily calm, even detached. One evening, a close friend visited Mark. She had been out of town and was unaware of the recent events. During their conversation, Mark noticed she often touched her face, humming an unfamiliar tune. The very same tune he had heard from others in town. Dread settled in. Was she infected too? As days turned into weeks, the town's atmosphere grew increasingly tense. Paranoia was rampant. Friends avoided friends, families distrusted their own kin. Every touch, every sound was scrutinized for signs of the entity's influence. One fateful night, Mark, driven to the brink of madness, 
decided to confront the entity once more. Armed with the book and a series of incantations, he summoned it. The room grew cold, shadows danced on the walls, and a familiar echoing breath filled the room. From the darkness, the entity emerged, a swirling mass of faces, voices, and emotions. Among them, Mark saw Julie, her face twisted in anguish. Why? Mark cried, tears streaming down his face. Why are you doing this? The entity responded, its voice a cacophony of those it had absorbed. I am the keeper of souls, the harbinger of resonance. Through each essence I take, I gain strength, and through each seed I plant, I expand. Mark, desperation evident in his voice, pleaded, Take me, but spare the others. The entity paused, considering his offer. Very well. It whispered, its form rushing towards Mark, enveloping him. The next morning, the town woke up to a sense of calm. The sun shone brighter, the air felt cleaner, and the eerie atmosphere had lifted. But Mark was nowhere to be found. Relief was short-lived. Soon, townspeople began to notice that every time they looked at another person, they'd see a flash of Mark's face, his eyes filled with terror and warning. The touch of a hand, the brush of a shoulder, even a mere glance, carried the weight of Mark's sacrifice, a constant reminder of the entity's pervasive reach. To this day, residents of the town live in fear of one another. They avoid eye contact, seldom speak, and rarely touch. For they know that with every interaction, the resonance of souls is at play, and within them might lie the echoes of an entity that hungers for more. Tale 10. The Melody of Mourning In the wake of the events surrounding the resonance of souls, a peculiar phenomenon began to manifest in the neighboring town of Larkspire. A melody, haunting yet strangely alluring, wafted through the air every night, just as the clock struck midnight. No one knew where it originated from or who played it, but its effects were undeniable. Initially, townsfolk were enchanted by the mysterious tune. It seemed to evoke memories, both cherished and forgotten, taking listeners on an emotional journey. But with each passing night, the melody grew darker, more sorrowful, and began to have a profound effect on the listeners. Sleep became elusive for many. Dreams turned into nightmares filled with visions of their deepest regrets and missed opportunities. The melody seemed to tap into the psyche of its listeners, drawing out their innermost fears and insecurities. A local historian, Mrs. Eleanor Greaves, started to research the origins of the haunting tune. Delving deep into Larkspire's past, she discovered an old legend about a gifted violinist named Lucinda. Lucinda was said to possess a violin made from the wood of a tree that stood at the crossroads of life and death. The instrument was believed to have the power to evoke intense emotions in anyone who heard its music. Lucinda's tragic love story, a tale of heartbreak and loss, ended with her playing a sorrowful tune on her violin before mysteriously disappearing. Some said she merged with the instrument, her soul forever trapped within its strings. Connecting the dots, Eleanor surmised that the nightly melody was Lucinda's tune, a song of eternal mourning resonating through time. The town convened a meeting to address the haunting nocturnal serenades. Many were on the brink of madness, the melody's sorrow weighing heavily on their souls. Eleanor proposed a plan to find Lucinda's violin 
and put an end to the nightly torment. Using the legend as a guide, a group set out to the old forest on the outskirts of Larkspire. As midnight approached, they began to hear the melancholic tune, its notes guiding them deeper into the woods. They finally arrived at a clearing, where, illuminated by the soft glow of the moon, stood the ancient tree from the legend. Hanging from one of its branches was Lucinda's violin, its strings seemingly vibrating on their own, producing the haunting melody. Next to the tree stood a silhouette, a figure in a flowing dress, her form flickering like a mirage. It was Lucinda, forever bound to her instrument. With trepidation, Eleanor approached, reaching out to grasp the violin. But as her fingers touched it, a surge of emotions overwhelmed her. Visions of Lucinda's life, her love, her heartbreak, and her final moments flashed before Eleanor's eyes. The weight of centuries of sorrow threatened to crush her spirit. But Eleanor's determination prevailed. Channeling all her willpower, she played a counter-melody on the violin, a song of hope and release. The notes intertwine, the sorrowful tune gradually giving way to one of peace. As the final note echoed through the forest, Lucinda's form solidified, her tear-filled eyes meeting Eleanor's. With a nod of gratitude, she faded away, the violin falling silent. The town of Larkspire finally found respite from the nightly melodies of mourning. But those who ventured into the forest at night often reported hearing soft violin notes, not of sorrow, but of love and redemption. Yet, the haunting experience left a lasting impact. Residents began avoiding music, fearful of the emotions it might invoke. Silent nights became the norm, and Larkspire earned a new title, The Town Without Sound. For in the echoes of silence, the memories of a haunting melody lingered, a testament to the power of sound to terrify, torment, and touch the soul. Well, congratulations, you have made it to the end of the second episode. And uh, if you did that, that means you survived 10 terrifying tales. Um, so this week's theme was actually generated by my wonderful daughter, Anna. She was saying, uh, what if we made an entire podcast around what had to do with creepy sounds? So that's what we were going with here. And uh, AI did not disappoint. I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit of a frustrating process this time around. We had to really do some coaching. Um, the stories were trying to be too short. The stories were trying to have happy endings. The stories were trying to um, come out of this uh, chat GPT platform as as something that like taught some sort of positive moral lesson. So uh, I learned a lot across the uh, production of this particular episode um so that's kind of what i want to share with you in this end of uh podcast tips for ai um and again this is kind of sp specific to chat gpt um your big tip here uh if you are hoping to get chat gpt to progress into an area where it's going to give you the result that you want you need to engage in some conversation beforehand um, ai experts call this priming um, it is also uh, a vital process in prompt engineering in general where basically 
you engaged in a conversation with AI. And uh, one of the things that I did not do at the start of the episode that I wish I would have would have been asking some questions like, hey, what other information might you want to know to get the result that I'm wanting? And it will actually ask you for some info. Had I done that, I would have saved myself probably 30 minutes of time in terms of uh, getting the prompts to the place that I wanted them to be. But um, so here's the nudge, the AI nudge. If you're using ChatGPT, um, start with what you think you might want and then actually take the time to ask AI, hey, what else, what other information or what else would you like to know uh, about what I'm trying to accomplish. And it will legitimately tell you, uh, as soon as I did that, the last eight episodes, so the first two were not great. And the last eight, I feel like they took off. They were much better, creepier stories that were way more on par with what I was hoping for. So, um, yeah, here's your big tip. Uh, ask AI what it needs from you when you are trying to generate, uh, content from it. Um, I hope you guys had a great time listening to some of these creepy tales. And if you've still stuck around, uh, just know that we will be pushing these out once a week. Uh, We love you guys for listening, and I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. Happy October.